for those who know me, you, you probably know that I'm not much of a social media guy. Just, and you, some people would come to the conclusion, well, you're just too old. You just don't get it, Bob. But there are people my age that uh, very much embrace social media. If I were to choose between all the various platforms, the one that I would be drawn to would be Instagram. I do have an Instagram account, and on my Instagram account, I, I have friends that I follow. Um, but I rarely post to Instagram. What I mostly use Instagram for, and if you've never used it before, it's, it's a picture-based platform. And so people uh, post their pictures. And there may be a small description underneath, and people can like it or respond to it. But I tend to follow a lot of people that just take pretty cool pictures. And so there are um, a set of people that I follow that provide pictures of the UK. I don't know what it is about these pictures, but pictures of the highlands of Scotland or, or the Peak District or, or the, uh, uh, the seascapes around Cornwall. Maybe it's that little street in York or, or in London, that little doorway. And what they do is they brighten my day. When I call it up, I don't call it up every day, but when I call it up, it's just a neat thing to be able to look at. I, I have these other folks that I follow that, that provide me challenge. There's a number of these outdoor-type folks. This one, Jim, Jimmy Chin, uh, Chin uh, he goes places I'll never go. Uh, uh, and he provides these pictures that, that, even though I may never go there, they just kind of wake me up for the day and, want, uh, and create this sense of adventure in me. And sometimes just for laughs. I follow different accounts, like Cats of Instagram. It's a great account. We know the power of a picture. We know the power of a picture is different than the power of words. That it, we know this from science. Science does all the research and tells us that our brain processes pictures different than it does words. But we also know it from experience. How a picture can move us. It, it doesn't just inform us, but it, it becomes a powerful motivator. It has a way of connecting with our emotional centers. And so we can look at pictures of sunsets and babies' smiles and desserts, and we're moved by them. We can also look at pictures of violence and suffering and grief, and it seems to impact us. Well, why does all this matter for today? Well, because we're beginning a new set of Sunday morning conversations, a new set of sermons. We're calling this series Gospel Devotion, Gospel Devotion. You know that term or that phrase that a picture is worth a, a thousand words? Well, we're going to try and reverse engineer uh, uh, the making of a picture. We're going to use words to try and uh, communicate a picture so that that picture, we can carry it with us. And the picture can guide us in our own devotion to God. Now, my outline only has 815 words on it. And if you count the number of words in the passage, which is 86, I still come up short of a thousand words. So every week we're going to need to chime in ourselves to participate in forming that picture in our own brains. That the picture we see of gospel devotion, devotion in response to the good news of Jesus Christ that together we'll form those pictures. So, we're going to look at five New Testament pictures of this kind of devotion. Devotion in response to Jesus. One of the pictures will show us what unrelenting devotion looks like. Another will show us what unconstrained devotion looks like. 
We'll look at undistracted devotion and unpretentious devotion and undaunted devotion. These pictures are intended to guide us and motivate us in our own response to the good news of Jesus Christ. In fact, together, wrapping all those pictures up, we'll get this robust description of one who realizes that they belong, not to themselves. In fact, it's their only comfort in life and in death that they don't belong to themselves, but that they belong, body and soul, in life and in death, to their faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. And so today, we're going to take a look at the picture of Anna in Luke's Gospel. Now, it wasn't all that long ago that we were back in this passage. In fact, it was at the end of December 2019 when Joss uh, preached for us and gave us this great teaching on Simeon and Anna, part of the uh, narrative in Luke's Gospel as, as we see Jesus being presented at the, at the temple. And, and it's a fair thing to say, well, it's not, it's not even been a year and a half. Why are we going back to the same text? And in preaching terms, that is a short amount of time. And yet I believe the picture of Anna's devotion provides a great starting point for us, a great foundation for the other pictures we'll take a look at. And just to give a little bit of the, of the background, even as we heard it uh, um, about a year and a half ago, we know that in the Mosaic law that after uh, a mom would give birth, that she was to go to the temple and, and there was this purification rite that she would go through and an offering would be made. In Luke's telling of the story, he puts the emphasis, though, on the presentation of Jesus at the temple. And so with this in mind, let's go ahead and turn to the passage. If you have your Bible with you, I encourage you to take a look at uh, Luke chapter 2, verses 36 through 38. Hear the word of God. And there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel, of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin. And then as a widow, until she was 84, she did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. And coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. May God bless the reading of his word, and may God bless our time together as well. Okay, so the word we're going to use to frame our picture today is the word unrelenting. And you can look it up yourself. If you go online and you look at the uh, Merriam-Webster dictionary online, you'll find these definitions these definitions. Unrelenting means not softening or yielding in determination. It means not letting up or weakening in vigor and pace. Let me give you a couple of examples. You might have examples of your own of what unrelenting looks like. These were examples that came to my mind. They, both these examples are not necessarily positive examples. The first is this, an example of something that's unrelenting. Microsoft Windows updates. They just come at you, and always when you don't have time for them. Or how about dads telling dad jokes? Unrelenting. 
But we have a far better example of unrelenting in the picture of Anna. She'll give us a picture of what unrelenting uh, gospel devotion looks like. So Anna, in uh, Jim Edwards' commentary on the book of Luke, he makes this contrast between the way Luke approaches Simeon and the way that Luke approaches Anna. And it's a contrast not to put either one down, just to, to illustrate that there's some difference. And so when Luke describes Simeon, he gives two character traits of him. He says he's, a, he's righteous and devout. That's the, that's the description, the, the way he presents Simeon to us, righteous and devout. But as Edwards points out in using Edwards' terms, that um, for Anna, it's a different story. Luke gives us her offices. He just says something about her relationships. And he says something about her commitments. So let's take a look at those. As we form our picture, let's let these things help us in knowing what that looks like in Anna's life. So we begin with offices. Do you know that for pastors, their offices, at least the title of it, has been changing a little bit? And maybe you have your own description of, of offices, and maybe yours has been changing as well. I know for pastors, it, it used to be that there were senior pastors and associate pastors and senior pastor head of staff and, and kind of these hierarchical, and it painted a certain kind of picture. And now they talk in terms of like a, a, a lead pastor or a, a pastor of faith formation or a care pastor or a pastor for mission. And it paints a different kind of picture. When I first set up my Twitter account, you may be aware that you have the ability to write a description, to, to give a short description of yourself. And I went back and I looked at mine, and, and I think I established my offices at the top of my Twitter account and my profile. I have these six things. I say, I'm a follower of Christ. I'm a, I'm a husband and a dad. I'm a, I'm a family person. I'm a pastor. I'm a resident alien. That means my citizenship is in heaven, and so living in this place as a resident alien. That I'm a learner, and that I'm a goof. And that last one is the office I hold, and it's, it's office just is, simply says, I am not there yet. i got a long way to go. Well, when Luke gives us the offices of Anna, he gives us just two. And so maybe at the top of her Twitter account, if Luke were setting the account up for her, he would say these two things. And the first thing he would say is prophetess, prophetess. We know in the text it says, and there was a prophetess, Anna. Do you know that in the whole of the Old Testament, that there are only five females identified as prophetesses? And in the New Testament, it's Anna, identified by name, and then Jezebel in the book of Revelation, who's not quite the example we want to follow. It does say that there are other female prophets that, that are, are speaking during that time, because we know that in the prophecy that we have through Joel, that at that time, that, that God would pour His Spirit upon all of His children, male and female, and they would prophesy all of them, male and female. And here we have, in Anna... After some time, some centuries of God not working through prophets, we have Anna coming forth as a prophetess. All this is to say is that this is not some kind of an addendum 
to Simeon. This is, this is not just some kind of a nobody. We may not have any other information on her. She may not have held a particular official office in the temple, but in God's eyes, in the work of God, in her uh, living out her faith, she was a prophetess. And you'll remember that prophets, they speak sometimes of, of things that will come, and sometimes they speak of the, uh, the calling back to the very heart of God. In addition to being a prophetess, we're told that another office she had was that she was 84 years old. And in her time, in, in her context, to be old was a respectable thing. You had credibility when you were older. It was lifted up as a preferred office, a preferred voice to be able to listen to. She was older. Two offices. Hopefully we start to get this picture of who she is. Then we're told about her relationships. Now we're not told much. That she was the daughter of Fanuel, of the tribe of Asher. And they say that there could be some Easter eggs in here that Luke wanted for certain people of, of those who would read the text that he wrote. Um, but if, they are, if these are Easter eggs, we don't know what they actually meant for those people. But it does tell us, though, is that she was a daughter of God. She was a child of the covenant, a, a, a person of the chosen people of God ministering in the temple. Which then brings us to Anna's commitments. And here's where the picture gets more filled in, where the colors come to be, where, where some of the detail is added. We find in verse 37 that it says, she did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. Did you hear in that the commitment she had? She did not depart, worshiping, with fasting and prayer, night and day. So she was remaining, worshiping, fasting, and praying. You know, when we talk about remaining, there's this thing that happens in churches when, when people get together, even during times of pandemic protocols. Something takes place after a church service. There's somebody, usually one person in a family, that likes to talk with others more than everybody else in the family does. And they hang out and want to talk to people. And it's so interesting, having been in a lot of church services myself, to watch this dynamic among the people of God. You can see body language trying to communicate volumes to scream out to the one talking. Whether it's the eye roll, or the folded arms, or the positioning by the door. Or the coming up beside and then just kind of trying to turn like, it's time. So even the thought of spending 30 minutes after a service seems overwhelming. How can we stay that long? Well, can you imagine staying at the church for three days? You know, our church has this retreat that we do here on site. It's a three-day retreat. And, and by the end of that time, people have ha having had a great time at the retreat, you can still tell it's time to go home. We're, we're done here. Thank you very much. In fact, somewhere on that last day, you can see where in, each individual starts going, okay, we're headed to the barn. Let's go home. 
Well, can you imagine spending not just three days, but maybe three weeks at the church? Can you imagine spending three years at the church? Can you imagine spending 30 years at the church? Well, in the story of Anna, we're told that she remained at the temple and she was worshiping. It it may help us to understand that in her remaining at the temple, that it wasn't just a little church building like this. The temple at the time that she was around was some 1.5 million square feet. So that's equivalent to 26 football fields. That would be 21 uh, Northminster Presbyterian Church buildings um, put together. And here she is, remaining, being present, focused. We're also told that she was worshiping. The word used is latruo, latruo. This word to worship also means to serve. It's an interesting word. It it appears many times in the Bible. But let me just pull out two, just to give you a a reference of, of what's included in this or how they use this word. One is when Moses went to Pharaoh. When Moses went to Pharaoh and he said, you know, you need to let my people go so that we can go out and worship God. We can go out and serve God. In the, the Greek translation of the Old Testament, in the Septuagint, they use the word litero. When Paul writes his letter to uh, uh, the Christians in Rome, and if you, if you know that layout of that book, he spends 11 chapters talking about the um, theology of, uh, of sin and salvation, of grace and, and law, and, and just, just tells the whole theological story. And then we get to chapter 12, and he does that turn toward application. And when he does, he says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters. In other words, I've told you all this theology. Now I want to tell you what this means for our lives. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, that you present your lives as a living sacrifice, that you present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. And there he uses the noun form of this verb, laturo. In other words, the very response to all the things that God has given us in Jesus Christ would be to laturo, to worship, to serve. And so she was worshiping all those years. And she was worshiping with fasting and prayer. It's a great combination. You know, when you think about these two things together, if we want to get a picture of what Anna's about, we find that she's fasting and praying. You know, if you put them together, fasting is denying. It's denying, it's saying, I'm going to turn away from this, and it's pursuing, so praying, it's pursuing being in God's presence, being in, in dependence on God, in conversation with God. It's to, it's to deny and to pursue. It's to sacrifice and to seek. In fasting, we, we say we're going to put something aside. We're going to sacrifice these things in our life, and we're going to seek. We're going to seek God's face in an intimacy with God, fasting and praying. When, when we say fasting and praying, it's to say that I'm going to turn from these things as part of my worship. I'm turning from these things 
and I'm turning toward you, God. These are the commitments that Anna makes. All of this meant, here's what it meant. All this meant was that Anna was on her game on this particular day. All of this meant that this life, this life of devotion and worship and prayer means that she's available to God on this day. And Luke puts it this way, and coming up at that very hour, and coming up at that very hour, she recognized through the power of the Holy Spirit that the Christ was present. And here's how she responded. This woman who had been devoted, had been fasting and praying, here's how she responded. We're told she began giving thanks. She began giving thanks. And she began speaking of him, speaking of Jesus, to all who were waiting for the redemption of Israel. You've heard us talk about it before. The idea of cruciform living. That living in the shape of the cross that we have a, a, a vertical relationship with God, and she's giving thanks. Her response is to go vertical and to give thanks to God. But it doesn't stop there. Her response is to reach out to others and to tell them, to speak to them, and to tell them about Jesus, that the Christ is here. Telling those who are awaiting the redemption of Jerusalem. She was relentless in her devotion. Her relentless devotion meant that she was there on that day, and she came up at that hour, and she gave thanks to God, and she began speaking of, uh, of Jesus in response to his presence there with them. She was aware. She expressed gratitude, and she served as a witness to the world. Do you get the picture? Is the picture starting to come together in our minds? This is the ultimate church lady, not the one of Saturday Night Live, of, Dana, of Dana, Dana Carvey, not Enid Strict. This is Anna with such vibrant, unrelenting devotion to God. And it's not as though she didn't have challenges. You figure that if she's 84 years, uh, when Jesus was uh, born, 40 days after Jesus was born, sometime in the 4th century um, B.C., in the fourth, uh, year 4 B.C., excuse me, not 4th century, year 4 B.C., that you figure that the time leading up to that, in those, time, those years, those connections of being at the temple, she would have seen the Roman occupation. She would have seen attempts at revolt. She would have seen Herod's sieging of the temple. She would have uh, been there as Herod uh, the Great would construct the, the, the temple that uh, was around at the time of Jesus. She would have been there for all of that stuff. She would have seen the Sadducees. The, and we don't have a ton of information on them, but what we do know is that they were the aristocracy of, of the Hebrew people and that they would compromise with the Romans. They were compromising the faith and, and turn it into a political wing in order to provide for their wealth and well-being. She would have seen the Pharisees and, and their teaching of Scripture, but also, as Jesus would let us know, that it wasn't just teaching of the laws, but they would add to the laws and that there would often be hypocrisy. And, and this is the picture, the environment in which Anna was choosing to be relentless in her devotion. I hope we're inspired by her picture. I hope we're encouraged by her picture. 
And now I'm getting close to the end of the 815 words. And so we need to ask, what might this picture look like in our own lives? This picture of not departing. This picture of worshiping and serving. This picture of unrelenting, fasting and praying. I, uh, I recently became a part of this pastor group. We meet once a month via Zoom. All we do, it's a, a group of eco-pastors from across the nation. It's a very small group, but we get together once a month on Zoom just to ask each other, how's your devotion to God going? How's your devotion to God going? And, and these people that I'm meeting with, they're, they're godly individuals, but they speak of frustration in their own walk with God. They speak of, of dry spells and, and sometimes of... of, of these glorious moments. And, but what I recognize in them is this picture of a relentlessness. That they're unrelenting and they're turning their face toward God. And they want more. They want to go into those deep waters. Listen, I want to be like Anna. I want to be like Anna. I know our world in some ways is a little different, but in the significant ways it's the same. In our world, we know we're full of quick turnarounds and short-lived fads. We've got the big voice of pop culture coming down our throats all the time. We have instant updates to things. Her world may have been a little bit slower paced, but here are the things that are the same. Back then, people were people, just as they are today. It was a broken and sinful world. People could be grumbling and complaining. They could be full of delight and joy. And the other thing that's the same is God. The, the God that was present in the time of Anna and who showed her the good news of Jesus is the same God who reigns and rules today and shows us the good news of Jesus. And so we turn to your picture. Your picture of unrelenting devotion. And we realize that some people will be looking at us and we are the picture of that devotion to them. What if the people around you could see in you these things? Boy, he remains focused in his faith. Not in a cheesy way, but, but in a real authentic, not in a judgmental way, but in a loving, just genuine way. What if others around you could say, she worships Christ and serves him? In a, in a way that, that, that just blesses her and blesses the people around her. What if people around us could see this unrelenting devotion as it manifests, that, that they would say, listen, he sets those things aside in his life. He, he doesn't embrace them. It's like he denies them those things because he knows something greater. Or what if they could say, she, she seeks God's face all the time. She talks to him. She pursues him. In other words, he looks like Anna. She looks like Anna. Do you have a picture? Whether or not we use Instagram, I hope that this week, and the week after, and the week after, that the picture of Anna would pop up in our feeds each day that would pop up in our mind's eye this unrelentless devotion to the good news of Jesus. Let's pray together. Father, you know how uh, 
often we um, create our own pictures of what enough Christianity looks like. We create our own pictures of, uh, of what devotion um, is manageable and sufficient. And then comes along a picture like Anna, who you provide for us in Scripture. We thank you that, God, you had so worked in her heart, in her mind, that, that she was unrelenting in her devotion. And so we pray for each other. We pray that this could be a picture that, that would motivate us, that would encourage us and delight us, that would challenge us, that would, that would tap deeply into our own self-identity, and that we would see in Anna a sister, a, a leader, a, an encourager for our own walk with you. God, continue to form us into the image of your Son. Continue to work in us a vibrancy, an unyielding determination to put you first in everything. We thank you so much, God. And we give you praise. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen.